Good evening. Glad you're here. We're going to go ahead and get started. First off, let's tell everybody thanks that had a part in our meal tonight. Good job on our beans and cornbread. Put a part in that. Let me start us off with a word of prayer. Dear Father, we come tonight. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for a church. We're thankful for the fellowship of the church. We're thankful for a place to come and, and to exalt you together, to seek you together, to study your word together. I pray that tonight would, would bear a profound impact. And I pray uh, in this day that, that we would be encouraged, that we would be strengthened, that we would be built up uh, in the knowledge of your truth. I pray for uh, our kids' classes meeting in this time as well. I pray uh, that you grow them, that there's a foundation that's built and that is stacked upon. And I pray in the days that we're living in uh, that that foundation, that they would be able to stand on it and it would hold as we know your truth does. I pray for our youth meeting tonight as well. Uh, bless them, encourage them in the effort, uh, grow them in the effort, and I pray again for a foundation of truth, uh, not just an hour passed through, but a foundation of truth uh, that would stand and would endure. And then I pray that tonight, as, as we have gathered, uh, that you would lead us tonight, that you would grow us tonight, that you would speak to us tonight through your word. I pray for those uh, that are here in person, those listening in another, another fashion tonight, uh, all of us together, that we would grow in your truth, that you would be uh, known, that you'd be glorified, that you'd be pleased in the effort. And we trust all of this to you, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now we're moving to Lesson 38 tonight. We are in a section uh, in our state where we're looking at some of the prophets. Now, uh, we couldn't look at all of them. Uh, so we picked some of the ones that, that we know, some of the ones we might not know that much about, and we've been looking at those uh, individual prophets. Remember, the prophet was a person that was called by God. There's really no set description. Some of them uh, were, were a couple were children, a couple, uh, many were men, some were women, uh, all different backgrounds, all different ages. And so there's really no set description or list of qualifications. Uh, these, these folks had in common that they were called by God, they were sent by God to declare uh, God's word, to declare God's message. Uh, tonight we're going to move to the book of Daniel. We're going to do a, a fast flyby uh, through the book of Daniel. Our key verses tonight, uh, if you want to read to keep up, is the entire book of Daniel. We're going to look at just uh, some pieces out of that during our time together tonight. The key point, if you have your worksheet tonight, the key point is this, and there are several things we could have pulled out uh, a couple of things we could have looked at, but our key point that we're going to look at tonight is this. To live as a believer in a world drastically opposed to God, one must be prepared to resist compromise and stand in great resolve. I think that is becoming increasingly clear. I think that's becoming increasingly important. In our day, if you're going to live as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to have to be prepared and resolved to, to stand against and to resist compromise. The word compromise, it's an interesting thing. We're going to, we're going to watch it play out in our study. But the word compromise, uh, ha, it has several meanings that kind of overlap. It means to come together. Uh, it also means more than that, uh, to weaken. And so there's two folks or maybe more than two folks and they have a a mindset, and they weaken their mindset in order to come together. Another definition is to settle. 
uh, to settle. And so there's a viewpoint, there's a viewpoint, and they concede parts of their viewpoint to come to a settlement. Uh, it is a meeting of concessions. And so there's, there's two sides, and they're having to concede in order to match up. Now, it's an interesting thing. When you think about a compromise, our world likes a compromise. We do not want conflict. We do not want strife. And so why can't y'all come to a compromise? Why can't you go somewhere and work it out? Well, here's the truth. Whenever there is a compromise, we may avoid the conflict, but the result is weaker uh, than what it was previously. Some folks had to settle. They had to let some stuff go in order to come to a compromise. And so what you arrive at is weaker than what you originally started with. Got an example tonight. Uh, I, I want to make this point. Lewis, would you help me out? <laughs> he's, on the, he's on the spot. <laughs> All right, here is a one by four. And I tested this out this afternoon. I, I think I'm quite a bit heavier than you. And it is it has not been compromised. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is just to step up on it and stand between these two chairs. You can hold my arm if you need to. It's kind of, you can trust me. All right. So there it is, all right? That board's uncompromised. You can step down. Now let me tell you about this other board. <laughs> this was the same board, but it didn't hold up as well. And so it, it did break, and it broke in the middle, and it splintered down the side. Um, but I had that monkey duct tape. It's supposed to be the strongest duct tape. And so I taped it up and down. And then I wrapped it in tape, and I actually used the entire roll. And so I think on TV they hang a guy over a bridge with that stuff, and so it should be pretty good. Um, but I didn't test it. I was, I was scared of it, kind of uh, what might happen. And so I'm going to let you decide if you want to stand on that or not. <laughs> you sure you don't want to try? Okay. okay. Point is this. What's wrong with the board? It had compromised. It came back together. It stands together. It looks together. Had this tape. It ought to hold with that tape, but it's not as strong as the original because it had been compromised. Well, compromise may avoid conflict. Sometimes that's a great thing. Hey, we don't need a battle. But at the same time, be sure to understand, wherever there is compromise, wherever there are concessions made, it is weaker than the original. That's a picture of that. We're going to see that played out in our state tonight. It's funny, uh, times have changed a long way since the days of, of Daniel, uh, but yet the, the, a lot of the things have not changed. And, and the world tells us today uh, that it will accept us and that it will promote us, it'll even celebrate us if we will conform to the shape of the world. And so listen, today, if you want to be recognized, if you want to be popular, if you want to be accepted, you only have to conform to the shape of the world. Now watch politicians today. They make a career of this. Watch some other folks as well. They make a career of this, uh, conforming to the shape of the culture. Here's, here's the temptation for us. We start having this temptation 
to cut corners or maybe just fudge a little bit or maybe just slide, maybe just compromise a little bit. And then if we will, there'll be comfort for us. There won't be problems for us. The world will be proud of us. And so uh, there's this temptation to start to give in a little bit, to just compromise a little bit. Daniel lived with the same dilemma. He was actually, we're going to see this, he was actually promised much success in this new culture if he just compromised. He was good looking. Uh, he was smart. Uh, he, was, he was everything they were looking for. And if he would just compromise, he was going to rise to the top of the, the cream of the crop in this culture. Uh, instead, for the glory of God, he decided to live a life faithful to God and faithful to God's word. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We're going to start off here. It's not in Daniel, but I want to read this, and then we'll go back to our discussion. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The verse tells us there in Romans, do not be conformed by the world. Do not be shaped by the world, but instead be transformed by the input of the word of God. Here's, here's what I think we face today. We want both. We want to we be pleasing to God. We for sure want to be saved and be forgiven of our sins, go to heaven. But we also don't want to be uh, in conflict with the world. We also want to be accepted by the world. We want to be comfortable as we go through the world. And so we're trying, I think, uh, to have it both ways. You know what? I can go this way, but I can fudge a little bit over here, and I can go this way. This week, and I think about the Grammy Awards show, the Super Bowl halftime show, uh, different things happening in our culture, things happening in Washington, D.C. The question becomes, how much are we willing to compromise? Are we willing to compromise? Do we participate in the things of the world? You say, well, I don't do those things. Are we willing to accept the things of the world? Will we wink at the things of the world? Not say anything because we do not want to upset anybody. And the basic question is this. Are we being shaped by the word of God seeking to honor God, or are we being shaped by the world? Our culture today, we're trying to have it both ways. We're trying to, to honor God somewhat, but not accept the world and, and, and being, allowing ourselves to be shaped by the world. All right, so enter into that. That's our thought, our call not to compromise, our call to stand. A world that is compromising, uh, our call not to stand. So that's the original thought. All right, now we're going to take that and we're going to look at Daniel and his life in that framework. A couple quick things about Daniel. Daniel lived under the reign of five kings. And so he lives his lifetime under the reign of five different kings. The first king was King Josiah. Now, I think that has an impact, and I think there's an influence from that. Remember, King Josiah sought to honor God by bringing back a resurgence of the Word of God. He finds the Word of God. Uh, he has a scribe read it. He tears his clothes. He tries to lead the nation in repentance. 
And he says, you know what? We're going to honor God. We're going to get rid of the false worship. We're going to get rid of the false idols. And we're going to turn back to God. So I think that bears impact in Daniel's life. The first king uh, that he lives under is, is King Josiah and his renewal of the word of God. And I think that influence uh, carries forward. Daniel saw the end of the southern kingdom of Judah. He saw the ending of it. He saw the fall of Jerusalem. Uh, it is, it's an interesting thing. He is estimated to be around 15 years old as he's taken captive by the Babylonians under the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, the city is under siege. The city falls. Uh, he is taken captive, and he's about 15 years old when he's taken captive and led away by the Babylonians under the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Daniel lived in Babylon from 605 B.C. until 535 B.C. Now, that's a long run. He serves God for 70 years during this time. Another thing I think is interesting, when we think of Daniel, my brain instantly thinks of a kid, a young guy. Daniel, this young guy, he actually does this over the course of his life. By the time he's in the lion's den, he's probably 85 years old. When he's taken away, he's about 15 years old. And so this is not a flash in the pan. It's not the, the account of three or four years at the start of his life. This is the breadth of his life. This is the work of his life. He wants to honor God. He seeks to honor God and refrain from compromising, not as a flash, but over the, the course of his life. His name profoundly means... God is my judge. Now, we're going to see how that's important. We're going to see how that ties in as we go through the lesson. His name, Daniel, means God is my judge. Now, there's another interesting fact here before we start, and that is this. Daniel lives under the reign of these five kings. There's the influence of the reforms of King Josiah. But here's another interesting fact. He also is influenced by the ministry of, of the prophet Jeremiah. Now think about Jeremiah for just a second. Jeremiah was greatly disturbed by the appearance of the lack of influence of his ministry. And so Jeremiah said he, he warns God's people, he calls God's people to repent. He doesn't feel like that's happening. He feels like it's a lost cause. And so Jeremiah basically laments uh, the condition of God's people. They won't listen. They won't hear. And so Jeremiah's actually upset about the lack of impact that his ministry has. And yet he doesn't know there's a young guy named Daniel who's learning from his ministry. And I think that's a pretty awesome thing. He's upset. My ministry has no impact, but he doesn't know what's going on in the heart and mind of Daniel that's going to carry on and be the prophet during these exiled years. So Jeremiah's upset, hey, I have no impact, and he has no idea the impact he has just in this one guy. I think that's a pretty interesting thing. All right, as we've looked at the role of prophet, all right, we've looked at it several times, we see there's a consistent thing. In order to serve God faithfully, they have to be three things. They have to be correct, they have to be courageous, and they have to be compassionate. Now, we've seen they have different backgrounds. Uh, they have different styles. They are ministering sometimes in different places uh, to different people. But we see the consistent thing with God's prophets. 
they have to be correct, which means this. The message they deliver has to be God's message. This has to be the word of God. They can't add to the word of God. They can't take away from the word of God. They can't neglect to tell you part of the word of God. So they have to be correct. So the message they bring has to be the message God has sent. Second thing is they have to be courageous. And so here they go. You know what? Most of the time the people aren't excited about the message. A lot of times they turn on the messenger and they have to be courageous. You know what? I'm going to have the correct message, but they have to be courageous in the delivery of the message. They also have to be compassionate, which means this. They have to care enough about the people receiving the message that they actually will endure the hardship to deliver the message. So you know what? These folks, remember at the end of Jonah, it says 120,000 people who didn't know their right hand from their left. You have to feel for them, and you have to have compassion for them to the extent that you're willing to endure the hardship to take the message to them. So God's prophet has to be correct, has to be courageous, has to be compassionate. Um, those three attributes are shown in common in their lives. All right, we're going to look at Daniel through that lens. All right, first thing we have is correct a life built on truth. Now, I want to tell you, this lesson is very relevant for us today. I think it's relevant for whatever age we are, uh, very relevant for us today. So, so listen up. Correct a life built on truth. All right, over and over again, Daniel shows a deep knowledge of God, a deep knowledge of God's character, who is God, what's God like, and a deep knowledge of God's word. I don't mean to start off, I'm going to read the first chapter of the book of Daniel. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom there was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had the ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated three years at the end of which they were to enter into the king's personal service. And so he says, you know what? I'm going to take the brightest. I'm going to take the smartest. I'm going to take these that have the ability to, to discern and have wisdom, and I'm going, to, I'm going to adapt them to our culture. We're going to give them our food. We're going to give them our education. We're going to teach them our language. We're going to give them our wisdom. And then we're going to, we're going to adapt them for service in, in his court. Now among them were from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The commander of the officials assigned new names to them. And to Daniel, he, named, he assigned the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach, to Meshach, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food 
or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might, might not defile himself. Now, God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king, who has appointed you food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days, and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence, and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, their appearance seemed better, and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept them, kept giving them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of dreams, visions, and dreams. Then at the end of the days which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and out of them all not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were who were in all his, his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus, the king. Right in, the, in this first chapter, uh, the king says, you know what, I'll bring them in, I'll train them. Uh, they say, we want to eat a different food. We do not want to be defiled. Uh, there's a test. Uh, it, it, it benefits, it shows that it's working. And so they're able to continue on that path. I think the key verse is chapter 1, verse 8. Listen to this verse. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food and with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. All right, this verse is very telling. Made up his mind, and when you go to the Hebrew, to the original language, it means he had determined. He had predetermined. He decided, and he decided beforehand. He had strongly resolved. Another definition, he had strongly resolved. What it means is his mind was set. So the pressures to do this, the commander pressures him to do this, the king says do this, everybody else is following suit, and he has made up his mind. He is strongly resolved, and the verse says not to defile himself. Now, the word defile means to make unholy, to profane or unfit for worship. And so it means to take what is holy and to make it normal, to take what is set aside unto God, holy unto God, and to make it normal, profane, unfit for worship. Another definition means to spoil or sully. Basically, it means this, to compromise. 
Here is the standard. Lower the standard. Compromise. To merge in. All right, very simply. That's a lot of words. and That's a lot of reading to say this. Because of what Daniel knew, because of what he knew of God, what he knew of his character, and what he knew of his word, he resolved to live to honor God. Now, I want you to think about that. Because of what he knew, he resolved to live to honor God. All right, I've got some questions, and I want you to think about them, and we'll just kind of work our way through them. Uh, we wanted this to be practical tonight. We want this to apply tonight. So here are some questions tonight. How tonight, here we are, here you sit, here we are. How do our lives honor or dishonor God? Your life, as it is lived, does it honor God? Does it dishonor God? How does your life honor God? How does it dishonor God? Now, we could say, well, if we run into sin, if we participate in sin, we could say if we walk in obedience, I think in our culture, the most dishonoring thing is to be people that claim one thing but live in a different manner. To, to say, I follow Christ, I follow God's word, I'm new in Christ, and yet how we live doesn't show that. And so I think uh, this dual-sidedness that, that Daniel's having to battle against uh, shows up for us. We dishonor God by claiming his name and yet living in a way that's, that's very similar to the world. Here's another question. Do we think our lives carry that much influence or impact? I think we like to hope not. Don't look at me. Don't watch me. I'm not influential. No one, no, it doesn't matter what I do. I think most of us like to think we do not carry that much impact. Let me tell you this. Listen very carefully. Your kids are watching you. Your grandkids are watching you. Your neighbors are watching you. Your coworkers are watching you. Your spouses are watching you. You carry a great influence. You carry a great potential impact. And so when you say, it doesn't matter what I do, no one cares what I do, you carry a great impact. You carry a great influence. And I, I think we like to shirk that off and say, well, no one's watching me. All right, here's another question. How do you think Daniel had this resolve at such a young age? Now, remember, this is the start, so he's about 15 years old. At 15 years old, he says, I'm not going to climb the ladder. I'm not going to try to appease the king. I'm not going to try to keep this guy from getting in trouble. I'm not going to merge in. I'm not going to compromise. At 15 years of age, how do you think he has that kind of determination? And it goes back to the, to the starting point. He had to know who God was. He had to know what it was to please and honor God. He had to know what God's character was. And he had to deeply know God's word. How does he have that much resolve at that age? He, he knows who God is, knows his character, knows his word. All right, think about us tonight. What would build this type of determination in us? You say, well, I could never do that. Well, I can't do that. What would give you that same determination? And it's the same thing. It's knowing who God is, being confident in who God is, knowing what God's word says, knowing what God's character is. All right, here's, here's a, a question I think about for us as a culture, uh, for us for sure as a church. 
Do we expect too little of our young people? Do we expect too little of our young people? We live in an age where we say, they're just kids. Well, what can a kid do? Well, that's too early for that. Do you know to get to this place at 15, Daniel had to start early? Somebody had to start early with Daniel. You had to start putting it in early. Do we expect too little of our young people? Tonight, you know what? Our, our five-year-olds are learning basically a, a pattern of this same lesson, to, to compromise, not to bend. Our kids can learn the books of the Bible. Our kids can learn Bible verses. Our kids, by the time they're eight or nine, can start to make moral decisions based upon the verses that they've put in. Uh, by the time they're 15, they can make stances like this. Here's, here's the next question. We're going to move on. How does this reflect on our priorities for raising them? I was thinking about this this afternoon. I put a Facebook post out. How does this reflect on our priorities for raising our kids? I think we've gone to sleep in realizing Satan is real. Satan is coming for your kids and your grandkids. He's not coming to lead them to make poor moral choices. He's coming to kill them. He's coming to wreck their lives, to ruin their futures. He's coming to destroy them. He's coming to take away their hope. I was reading 60-something percent of kids today have no hope. 30% of kids today consider suicide. 30% uh, of females wish they were a male. All of that tied to hopelessness. Satan is coming for your kids. He's not playing games. He's not just going to, oh, they're in bad moral choices. He is coming to destroy our kids. You know what? Our priority set ought to go. You know what the number one thing we need to do? We need to make sure they know the Word of God, the character of God, and they've trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That has to consume us. You know what? They may or may not play college softball. They probably won't. But you know what? They will face the devil that wants to take the truth away from them and shove a lie down their throat. It has to be an all-consuming priority. All right. Correct. A life built on the truth. You know what Daniel does? He knows God. He knows God's character. And he knows those things because he knows God's word. All right, next thing we see is this. Courageous, a life confident in the truth. Courageous, a life confident in the truth. All right, to uphold this purpose, to, to uphold that correctness, Daniel has to show extreme courageousness. Uh, that courageousness wasn't just because he's a tough kid. He's tough. It wasn't because he had great willpower. Man, this guy's got willpower. It has to be in a confidence in God and in God's word. And so is he courageous? Crazily so. Why does that happen? Because of his confidence in God and the word of God. Let me give you three episodes. Starting off, he's a young man. He refuses the king's food. You know what the king could do? Kill him. He puts this court officer in a bad spot. You know what the, king, the, the court officer could have done? Could have killed him. Just killed him. He didn't have to go talk to anybody. Could have killed him. The king could have heard about his refusal and killed him. The king could have heard about it six months later, lasted three years, and had him killed. If they didn't thrive, he could be killed. If they lost weight, he could be killed. And yet he courageously says, I have set my mind that I will not defile myself. Great courage as a young man. All right, the, the account of the interpretations of the dreams. A couple of places he interprets the king's dreams. 
When you read the account, you'll pick up on this. The king was looking for somebody to give him an interpretation that he liked. And so the temptation is, I have a dream, and I want you to interpret it, but I want, I want to approve what you say. I want to like what you say. I don't want to be offended by what you say. Uh, one of them, he says, your kingdom is going to be replaced, and it's going to be, lose its power. It's not a report he wants to hear. So Daniel sticks to the truth. He doesn't try to appease the king. He doesn't try to figure a way to say it that doesn't hurt anybody's feelings. He is courageous. This is what it means. This is what it, what's going to happen. And he doesn't try to change it or craft it uh, to somehow satisfy or appease the king. You know what that takes? Great courage. He could have had him killed, could have had him snuffed out at any moment. At another point we read about in the book of Daniel, remember that he worships the one true God. He prays to the one true God. Uh, remember the, the guys come along and they go to the king and say, you're our God and we worship you and anybody that doesn't worship you ought to be killed. And, and the king likes that and says, yeah, that sounds good. I, and they say, well, if, if that's the truth, we ought to make a law that if somebody's not worshiping you, they ought to die. And he, he gets caught up in it and bends and makes the law. And yet Daniel doesn't adapt. He doesn't hide. Uh, the Bible says he's in his window seal where all can see. Let me, let me read that section of verses Daniel chapter 6, 6 through 16. Then these commissioners and the satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows, King Darius lived forever. All the commissioners of the king to, kingdom, the prefects and the satraps and the officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any God or any man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document. That is the injunction. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, when he knows it's signed, he knows the the penalty. He entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been pre doing previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. Then they approached and spoke before the king and the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or any man besides you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den? The king replied, The statement is true, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Then they answered and spoke before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you sign, but keeps making his petition three times a day. Then, as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed, and he set his mind on delivering Daniel. He wished he hadn't done it. And even until sunset, 
he kept exerting himself to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God whom you constantly serve will himself deliver you. In that account, he's told, he's warned. And you know what? It says he doesn't change. What he was doing, worshiping, praying, he continues to do. Those accounts cover the, the breadth of his life. When he's a young man, he doesn't bend. When he's an old man, he doesn't compromise. He is found courageous. All right, here's a question tonight, and that is this. What is the difference in believing something and being boldly courageous in your belief? Now, I think about that. We might believe something, and we might say, hey, I believe that. What is the difference in believing something and being willing to die for something, being unbending in something, not relenting in what it is that you believe, not even being quiet about what it is that you believe? What's the difference in believing in something and being boldly courageous in your belief? And I think the answer, now it's going to move in degrees, is just going to go back to this, your commitment to what it is you believe. You know what, if you say it's hot outside, and I'll say, well, it was 72, and the, but now cold fronts come in, and do you still believe it's hot? You know what, I'm not going to be sold out on that. But if you ask me if there's salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone, you know what, I'm not going to move on that. I'm not going to bend on that. We shouldn't. It is the level of our commitment that really inspires and encourages our bold, courageous stance for our belief. And so it goes back to, you know what you got to do? You got to know God. You got to know God's word. You got to know his character and you got to be confident in it. How do we build that level of commitment? I, I don't know. I, I've been saying it, but I'm starting to say it. Uh, more frequently, and in, and in the last month, I think I'm going to say it even, even more frequently, we're living in the end days. We're living in the end days. And our world is becoming more wicked by the week. Uh, the things that we see, the things that are happening, and it's, it's at a place where we're going to have to choose to fit in or to stand. We're going to have to choose to say this is the truth, and we're going to stick with it, or we're going to, or we're going to compromise how do we build that level of commitment? The only way is to know God's word, to know God, to trust his character, to be committed to it. That's the only way. To follow God, and I, I'm not, I don't know if, if we say this strongly enough, I don't know if we've been easy or too easy in the church. To follow God, you must decide, decide who it is you're trying to please. And that's the bottom line. Yeah, we're saved by faith in Christ. We're forgiven of our sin. But listen, part of that process, you're going to have to decide who it is you're trying to please. Think about Daniel's name. God is my judge. That's the bottom line. Who are you trying to please? God's the judge. We've got to please the judge. Today we think, who are we trying to please? Who are we trying to please? And I, I, just this afternoon, we're, we're working through this lesson, and I think 
another option came to mind, and that is this. Are we trying to please God? That's what it is to walk with God. Are we trying to please somebody else? And I think we start to go, the world, the world. And that's true. That's, a, that's an allurement to please the world. Do you know there's somebody else that figures into that? I'm trying to please myself. You know what? I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to be unpopular. I don't want to have to stick my neck out. I, I want to do what I want to do. And so there starts to become another deal. If you're going to walk with God, if you're going to be pleasing to God, you can't even try to please yourself. It is solely being committed to his honor, his namesake, being committed to him. His name is God is my judge. Think about the New Testament. In the New Testament, it says this. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. That's Paul in Galatians 1.6. Acts chapter 5, verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. If we're going to follow Christ, if we're going to walk with Christ, if we're going to bring honor to him, we have to be resolved who we're trying to please. God is the judge. We live for him. We live to please him. Here's a question, and the answers are really too much to even think about. What are issues where we might be tempted to compromise today? Well, just be quiet. Well, don't offend somebody. Um, I, I was reading a deal, and I, I think I may have mentioned this before. I was reading a deal last week. Um, the, the whole transgender thing. There are only two genders. And the Bible is clear. There's only two genders. God created a male and female. Um, if, if you do the science, there's only two genders, and they're male and female. Now that's going to be backed up in their, in their chromosomes. But I was watching a major university in the South, 35,000 students, actually put dispensers uh, for women's products in the male bathrooms as to not offend the males who might feel the need to use a, a, a female's product, even though they're not going to need a female's product. And I, I hear that and I read that article a place that's going to teach medicine and science and, and, and I guess represent some form of the truth actually puts these things in the male's restroom to appease somebody. And, and that, that it, to me, it's like the emperor has no clothes. We, we're, we've lost our minds. We're insane to try to, to appease them. What are issues where we might be tempted to compromise today? Another and another and another. What's the number one way we're going to be compromising is probably not to run and participate in it. Most likely it's going to be to wink at it or to be silent in it. What are some issues we might be tempted to compromise today? The last part, compassionate, a life sharing the truth. Compassionate, a life sharing the truth. Now this is kind of overlooked. Um, I would expect that the prophet has to be correct. If it's not God's word, then this is just nonsense. I would expect they're going to have to be courageous. They're going to take this message into a hostile territory. I would expect they're going to have to be courageous. But what about compassionate? Maybe I miss that. Maybe I don't think about, man, these folks were compassionate. Here's, here's the deal. Why would they endure hardship to be correct and to take the truth to the places that are going to require their courage. Why would they do that? 
And, and well, God told them, well, you could run from that. Well, they're supposed to. Well, a lot of times we don't do what we're supposed to do. Why would you go? And, and, and you think about today, why would we speak up? Why would we present the hope that we have in Jesus Christ? It's because of this. You have to care about the folks that are hearing it. And so you have to be concerned about those that would hear it. You have to be concerned of their fate if they do not hear it. You have to, you have to understand uh, God's grace is offered to them through the message, and you have to be compassionate enough to set aside your own desires and your own safety, your own welfare, risk rejection and abandonment and even death to carry the message. They had to know what would be missed if they didn't do it, and they had to care enough about it to actually do something. They had to be filled with compassion. I was thinking about that this week. We passed through Jonah a couple weeks ago. Think about Jonah, and I think about, I'm not going there. That's basically the start of the story. I'm not going there. Do you know his ultimate struggle is between being faithful to God and taking a message of compassion to a people that he hated? And so he doesn't like those folks. Uh, he, he doesn't want to take them the message. He doesn't want them to be saved. At the end of the book, he says, I knew you were compassionate. I knew you would save them. His whole dilemma is being compassionate to people that he hated. Well, here again, Daniel is correct. He takes the message. He is courageous. He endures risk and hardship to do it, and he's also compassionate. He shows great love toward his friends. He shows great love toward his people and even toward the pagan people, the pagan king who held him captive. His faithfulness was a witness to them. Daniel chapter 9. Verses 3 through 19. This is a prayer that he prays. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and your ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame, as it is in this day to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away in the countries which you have driven them, because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. Open shame belongs to us, our Lord, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings, which he set before us through his servants and prophets. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us, along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God. For we have sinned against him. Thus he has confirmed his words, which he had spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us, to bring on us great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been, there has not been done anything like was done to Jerusalem. 
as it is written in the law of Moses. All this calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of our Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us. For the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds, which he has done, but we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as it is this day, we have sinned, we have been wicked, O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts. Let us... Let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem, your people have become a reproach to those around us. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. And for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action. For your sake, O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people who are called by your name. In that prayer, long prayer, he says, we have sinned, we have sinned. We have forgotten God. We've turned against God. You're righteous in your judgment. But he says, God, remember your compassion. God, forgive us, restore us, and remember your compassion. Daniel still burned for his people. He still cared for his people, even those that were, that were outside of his people, the, the pagan people with whom they lived. Here's the, here's the last couple questions tonight. What made Daniel compassionate. We live in a day where I think people are less compassionate than ever before. We want to turn at everybody. We want to bite everybody's head off. Fights break out in, a, in an instant. What was it that made Daniel compassionate? Why? He's sitting there going, you sinned. Why didn't he say, well, you get what you get? What made Daniel compassionate? Here's another question. What makes us compassionate? What would make us compassionate? It has to be becoming more like Christ who is gracious and compassionate and kind to sinners. And so the more we're like Christ, that would make us compassionate. What would make us compassionate? Sometimes I get to a place where I have a hard time with compassion and I think, well, that's what they get. That's what they've earned. Uh, they want to do that. Well, that's what they're going to get. And, and, and my heart has to be turned back to, you know what? All of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We all need a Savior, and we are messengers of God's grace because He is compassionate. We are compassionate as well. Another question, how are we dishonoring God by not being more compassionate? How, it's to say the same thing. God's gracious to all people. God is patient and kind, desiring that none should perish, but not being compassionate enough to take the message of the gospel out. Here's, here's the, the last part, and I think this is the big part of the whole lesson. What would compassion on the part of believers look like today? Now listen very carefully. I think this is the big deal. What would compassion look like on the part of believers today? All right, let me, let me tell you the answer to that. 
there is a temptation today to say compassion would look like service of others or taking up social justice causes. Now listen, we're supposed to do those things. God commands us to do that. But we might start to think, you know what, I can do enough good deeds, I can do enough good things, I can, I can roof enough houses, or I can give out enough food um, that, that God's compassion is known. Those are good things, but listen, those things are easy. Uh, those things, I think, are, are things we go to quickly. You know, the, the greatest way you can share the compassion of our God is to tell people they're lost, to tell people there's hope in Jesus Christ, and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what? You can run a food pantry for a long time. You can run some service to people for a long time and never tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we do, the good things we do, have to be saturated in the good news of there is a Savior, there is hope, there is forgiveness in the person of Jesus Christ. What would compassion look like on the part of believers? It would look like a people in a church that tell folks of a Savior that we have in Jesus Christ. Simple as that. All right, we're one minute short of an hour. Glad y'all are here. I'm going to ask if you'll stand, please. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come and we're thankful for you. We're thankful that you give us your truth. We're thankful that in these days when the temptation is to compromise, you remind us in your word. There's, there's not strength in compromise. There's strength in standing. And we're supposed to stand in your truth, in your word, not in our resolve, and in your power. Lord, I pray that in a day when the, the gospel is being watered down, when, when the truth is being watered down, I pray that we would be a people quick to stand on the truth of God's word. And then I pray, Lord, as, as we wonder what compassion looks like, I pray those that are in this room, those that are in other classes, those that are listening in another way, that we would understand the most compassionate, loving thing we could do is share our faith in Jesus Christ, to share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, I, Lord, I actually pray that we'd have opportunities to do that. I actually pray that we'd be found faithful to do that, not some way distant thing, but maybe in the next few days that we could share your compassion and your grace by telling someone the hope we have in Jesus. Lord, again, we're thankful for this opportunity. We're thankful for the other classes that are meeting, those that are growing in your truth. We praise you for it, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. Glad you were here.